Hello and welcome to the Beyond the Hustle podcast. My name is Lydia Wilmsen and I'm a mindset and business coach for high achieving entrepreneurs. In this podcast, I share insights into how you can create a life of freedom, happiness and personal fulfillment while increasing financial success way beyond what you have achieved with hustle alone so far. Plus, every other week I interview inspiring and out-of-the-box thinking entrepreneurs. Have fun and enjoy! Hello and welcome to another interview. And today I have Susanne, Susanne Ringen, here with me. And she is a leadership coach and a consultant for organizational design. And I'm super, super excited about this interview as we will talk or discuss topics around leadership, how to build your team, especially as an entrepreneur, how to get started. So welcome to the show today. And I'm happy to have you here, Susanne. Hi, Lydia. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I'm also really excited about all the things and all the ideas that uh, will come up while we talk. Perfect. <laughs> I usually start with some questions or the main question that you introduce yourself. So where are you from? What do you do? And basically, how have you ended up in, in as a leadership coach and consultant for organizational design? Yeah, I'm Susanne. And uh, already the question is, uh, where are you coming from? Is really difficult for me because I've grown up in very different places in Germany, in Holland, in the USA. And right now I live in Norway and in Berlin. So where do you come from? It's a bit tricky for me to answer. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> I'm 51 years old and it's just for the last 10 years that I have come to the feeling that, okay, this is what you really want to do. And before that, I've had the different stations in my life from studying, from being massage therapist, from being an IT consultant, from being a HR professional leader up to my self-employment. So what I really want to give other people the impression of uh, how did you get there? It's like, just move on. And uh, how do you find out what you want to do is just keep on moving. And if it's that, if it doesn't feel right, then it doesn't feel right. Then just go on. Life is movement. Life is not static. And um, so how have I ended up just by trying, giving things a chance, giving me a chance and trying and trying and trying and trying. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. And um, very similar to me, actually. Because I also moved a lot and have lived in different places. So I actually didn't know that before. And also the, the piece that you said, like, yeah, just keep on moving. Life is not stagnant. Life like really is about giving it a go and trying things out. And that probably also makes you a so-called perfect entrepreneur because it's all about trying out things and moving on, I guess. Are you in the, in the perfect stage now as an entrepreneur? Or a self-employed person? I was uh, self-employed before and that was my late 20s. And I promised myself and I swore to myself, never do that again. Because that was a complete crash. And uh, I was 30-something. Uh, I was completely bankrupt. I had debts uh, above my head. And uh, so I swore to myself, never do that again. That's so silly to do that. It's so silly to be an entrepreneur. It's so silly to be self-employed. But then, you know, life changes and things come up and then you just do it. And so I did it again. Yes. <laughs> But um, I don't know if I'm in a good stage or not. I think it's it's a constant going. It's a constant struggle. It's a constant fighting. It's a constant trust and it's constant fun. 
and uh, it's constant learning and you really have to be aware of that if you want to be self-employed if you want to become an entrepreneur you never stop growing and uh, you will come to the point that you doubt you will come to the point that you think oh this is not good for me but uh, I think deep down if you trust yourself uh, then you can manage it yeah I think you give a beautiful like almost like a bow you know like of everything that that owning a business or being self-employed has or what it includes so to say because I love that you started with struggle and fighting so that's one side and then you said fun and trust and trust is a very big thing and I think we have this like even people who are employed should trust because it's not a given that they keep their employment but so many people don't think about it for them it's just like oh I get my paychecks and they don't think about the very thing that they lose their job so no one thinks about that but we as entrepreneurs we have this constantly in front of our eyes so we can actually learn to trust much more because we are facing it every day so a nice point that you made there I wanted to move because you're, an, as you said, a leadership coach, and I wanted to move into that direction, what you do now. So you work with companies, you work with business owners, and you help to um, build a team or improve on their teams. I either work with uh, companies that um, are, are really already a bit bigger. So with the first time uh, leaders that come to me that uh, want to know how can I be a good leader. Or, but also with organizations um, that just start, they're a startup, they're building up the team, they try to find the right people, which is not easy as a startup because um, it's a lot of pressure, it's a lot of uh, work, but uh, usually with less payment. And uh, so I work with them either on the leadership concept, how do you want to lead, or on the organization itself, what kind of teams do you need? What kind of people do you need? Uh, how can you build your teams? How can you build up your organization? So it's those two different sides. And both are super interesting for me and obviously for the, the people who listen, like the audience here, because it comes to every business owner at some point that you have to start outsourcing either because you like your ideas grow and you have more ideas and you need people to implement that stuff that you already have. Or perhaps you go like, for example, I move more into this investment direction. So I don't want to do a lot in my business anymore at all, especially not the things I don't like. And so many of my clients, I'm the exact same position. So they want to grow. They want to grow their business. It's a heart-centered business. So it's not just about making money. It's about impact. It's about changing the world, so to say. But then the idea like, okay, how can I make this bigger? Because right now it's just me. I can only work as many hours. And what you said, like many people struggle with how do I find the right employees? Because they always have a different mindset. Like how can I find people who really match my team? And the other thing, obviously, is what do I need? And these would be the two questions for you. What do I need to grow in myself or teach myself or develop in myself so that I actually become a good leader? So this would be the two questions I would like to go a little deeper with you. To um, get into that question of how can I lead or how can I start to lead? How can I become a good leader if there is anything like a good leader? The first step, I think, is to find yourself a concept and how you want to lead and find out, get an, yeah, like a 
kind of leading vision, how does it feel? How should it feel for others? How should it feel for you? Leading should not be stress. Leading should be fun. It should be fun to work with people. It shouldn't stress you. And um, I work with a Norwegian concept um, that is called tight, loose, tight. And it's three words. It's a leadership concept. So the first word tight be tight means be clear about the vision, be clear about your goals, be clear about what you want to achieve with your team, with your company. So be really very, very tight and clear on that point and uh, what you expect from people, your expectations, everything. And the middle, the loose, tight, loose, let go, let the people do. Because if you hire people, even if you outsource, you know, You find people that are good, they're experts in what they do. So don't control them. Let go. If you're clear in your goals, if you're clear in your expectations, then you can let go. And the third word, again, it's a tight, tight, loose, tight. The third word is um, stick to it and um, go in retrospectives, go in reviews, uh, talk about if your expectations have been met, give feedback, give mentorship, give leading. And so if you go with this concept, it sounds a bit easy. Oh, okay, tight, loose, tight. Um, but if you go with a concept, you what you achieve is some clarity. What you achieve is when you struggle with your leading, when you struggle with your team, or you have the, the idea of, oh, the team is not going in the right direction. They don't do what they want them to do. Then with those three words, you find out pretty quickly what is missing. Am I clear enough? Am I loose enough? <laughs> Am I tight enough um, in managing my expectations? Do I really give feedback? And uh, with that concept, you can trust. With that concept, you can let go. Because you still give the team or the people you lead a clear structure, structure. in which they can move, in which they can go. Okay. That's the one idea. Find a concept how you want to lead. And uh, I think that concept is uh, really easy to adapt. You started out um, with like, how do I want this to feel for myself? And how do I want this to feel for the other? Because leading should be fun and not a struggle and stress. And most of the people I work with, they start with a stressful leading experience because the people never do what they want. <laughs> it's And it's difficult, you know, and... So the first thing is obviously, yeah, goal and vision clarity, all of that, like clarity that you have to have first. You can't expect your employees to have a vision for your company. Like you have to lead with this and probably communicate it properly. And then, you know, like how I understood to let go and let them do things. However, I would say in that point, and I would love your argument around that. What if you have people who are not easy to be led so to say like what if you have people who have a character that's that's difficult do you just fire them and find new ones i'm not a fan of uh, hiring and firing even though i have been in the position where i had to do that uh, as an hr professional as an hr leader but um, usually people behave according to the structure people behave according to the context people behave according to what they have learned before so To say a person has a difficult character is always a bit tricky. To me, I would try to find to be good in the communication, be good in the feedback and be very clear about it and say, hey, listen, I don't know if I made my point clear. I don't know if my expectations were clear enough, but ba, 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 ba. try to go in, in as many feedback loops as possible 
before you come to the conclusion, this is not working out. But of course, it can happen that it's not working out. Of course, it can happen that that I have to let go from from an employee. Uh, so it's so important to hire the right people. Is also it's a culture check. It's a check of values. It's a check of are we looking in the right direction? Are we moving in the right direction together? Do we want to achieve the same thing? Are we really keen on solving problems together? Working together means solving problems together. Working together means that um, the problem itself that we want to solve has to be so, yeah, magic is maybe not the right word for it. But uh, if we really want to solve a problem together, then we really fight together. Then we want to do it. Then we want to achieve it. And uh, so I don't want to hire people that just want another job. I want people that want to solve problems with me. And where do you recommend your clients, for example? Because that was a point when we quickly had a chat beforehand. You mentioned um, like building a team and where to find the people. And we have this, for example, in Germany. I don't know about many other countries that it's that's almost like there is a lack of skilled people to work with, like in several or many, many um, areas. So... Yeah, what about that? What are your thoughts on that, on finding finding the perfect, not the perfect, you know what I mean, but finding the great fit for your company? How to go about that? I would definitely try to go international and remote, not only German, not only local, not only regional, because you never know where the right people are. But uh, nowadays, it's so easy to work remotely. Nowadays, it's so easy to work with people who come from uh, different countries, different backgrounds, live in different cities. Usually, it's not really important what language you're speaking as you, we speak English with each other. So, and um, if you manage that, I think that then you have a bigger prospect of finding good people, finding the right people. But don't expect people to sit in an office with you eight hours a day. This is uh, not working anymore. And uh, I think then you just have better opportunities to find good people. Yeah, that's an important point, definitely. And a typical employee who has no leading skills or don't doesn't have to lead has a different mindset, for example, someone who has to have leadership skills and also a different mindset, for example, to someone who is an entrepreneur. And what I heard once, because I'm not the expert here, <laughs> was that you actually have to learn as an entrepreneur to almost accept or work with different mindsets. So if you have an employee who's there to actually just also do a job, like do things, work on things, it could be detrimental if you have someone with an entrepreneurial mindset, because then that person will be thinking, will be having many ideas, but like basically doesn't get the job done. So I would love to hear your ideas around this mindset topic of different yeah, employer statuses, so to say. I would first have a look at uh, what kind of job do I want to be filled? I cluster it into blue and red things. So the blue things are where we need processes. Things need to get done. This is a typical um, financial thing, writing plans, having checklists and all that stuff. That's for me, I call it blue to-dos. But then we have red to-dos. Red to-dos are those where we need the creative mind. Red to-dos 
are those where we don't have a solution yet. We, don't, we can't have a checklist for creative things. We just have to think about it. We have to brainstorm it. We have to find a solution. And uh, so we have both usually in a company. We have blue things and we have red things. So to look at it first, to see if is that more a blue type of work or is more that a red type of work helps already to see who am I looking for? And uh, someone who is good in structures, who's good in processes, who's good in checklists. I mean, that's perfect, but not for every job. It needs both and not one is better than the other. So try to check first what kind of work needs to be done here and what type of person do I need for that job. And you can't have a, a company full of creative entrepreneurial thinkers. Then, like you said, it uh, some things won't get done and uh, there are some blue things that need to be done. Do you have some percentages in mind when you think about the organizations you work with? Like, is it that a company consists like 80% out of blue because these are the people who get the work done and 20% out of red who come up with the new ideas and stuff? I don't no. have any percentages uh, in mind. It depends on the business model. It depends on the case, what the company is working on. If you have, for example, um, a tax company, And um, then it's probably more blue than red, but there's also some red things that the, where you have to have creative solutions for. But uh, if you are more in a startup environment and more in innovation, of course, then it's a bit more red than blue. Mm. But, yeah, it uh, makes sense. I don't think there's any statistics on that. How do you actually search for, uh, it's probably the words you use, right? Like, how do you search for a more blue or a more red person? Because you don't say like, hey, I'm hiring for a red position. <laughs> no, usually people don't understand that. Um, no, but of course, it's how you communicate it. Uh, if you, how you're writing your job descriptions. If you, I'm looking for a real structured process oriented person, Or if you're looking for a creative mindset who's eager to solve problems that we have no solution for. I mean, it's that type of language, it's that type of communication where you attract the people you're looking for. It's the job description. And probably when I'm thinking back to, to smaller teams or entrepreneurs who start with little teams with two or three people, it's probably for them the clarity again first What other things I want to outsource? Is this one job? Do I perhaps need two people who do like part-time work for me? Is it, yeah, what kind of person does this, this kind of work? Like, do I need a more structured person or a more creative person for that? And then come up with, yeah, what do you actually need for your team? Usually, um, if you are really starting your business and uh, you want to hire the first one, two, three people, it's good to have all-rounders because if you find experts, they really want to be experts. Usually if you're such a small company, um, there's a lot to the right and the left that needs to be done. If you have all-rounders that are willing to do the work that is on the right and on the left and your company is uh, still in the movement of change and it's changing fast, because uh, you haven't stabilized uh, your business model, you haven't stabilized your product yet, you're growing. Um, that means you have to be 
Uh, you have to find people that are flexible in that way, that really want to be flexible. They want to learn together with you. They want to build up the company with you. If you are looking for experts, experts, they don't want to, they want to be better in their own field. And then you have the generalist and the experts. I think for the start, it's good to have more generalists that are a bit of expert in their field, but you don't need this deep, deep, deep experts. You need them later on. And otherwise, if you think you hire really good experts, then you will lose them after a year because uh, there's too much work on the right and left that needs to be done. And they don't want that. They get bored or they get not excited about their job anymore. No, because they, they cannot grow their expertise. A generalist likes to grow in the broad way and learn more things, new things. But uh, the expert wants to just deep dive and deep dive and deep dive and deep dive. So there's a difference. Because you have mentioned before, like even in your own introduction, you have mentioned the word trust. And also in between now, it fell again, this word. This is also what I see with clients and other people. I also saw it in myself. You know, if you're the person who does everything, like an entrepreneur is the person with who's wearing all the hats. I would say an entrepreneur is almost like the the absolute all-rounder, <laughs> like wearing all the hats, doing everything. And then to learn to outsource things and start leading other people. A big thing that I see happening is this inability to delegate because it's almost like I can do everything better and I almost can't trust other people to do it to my yeah, to my level. So this, this topic of self-leadership or this topic of how to lead, how do you experience that in your workshops and with people? I would always suggest to hire only someone for some things where you don't have an expertise for. So for example, if you are an entrepreneur and you have been doing your social media stuff before, your LinkedIn, blah, blah, blah. Usually then you have a personal brand And you have a personal style, how you communicate. And this is really hard to delegate. Nobody can communicate like you do. And so what you can delegate is not how you write it, but to make the plan, to post it, maybe to do the graphics, to use the tools. That is something that you can delegate, but not how it is written. So you have to be really precise in what can I delegate and what is not possible to delegate because it's too much of me behind it. And especially if you're an entrepreneur and you have started as an own business and now you want to hire the first one, two, three people, you really have to be clear about, do I have an expertise myself in that? Or is this what I want to delegate somehow really deep down connected to me? Because as an entrepreneur, if you have your own little business, the business is so connected to a personal brand That is really hard. You feel, and then you get this feeling you're cutting off uh, your arm or your left leg or something. And this shouldn't happen. So it should be something that uh, is really easy to delegate. And I think that's the first thinking and not, oh, I just find a social media manager that is doing all my Insta and LinkedIn stuff, because then you will be so unhappy with what's happening. And I would have a follow-up question with that, because obviously... At some point, you still want to delegate things. We could go into the coaching, like I have the, the, the coaching example, for example, like Tony Robbins, an absolute brand. And I guess he does not write a single one of his, his own posts. 
also like he has his own team of coaches. If you don't want to spend a million and more, you will not be able to hire Tony Robbins, but you can hire some of like Tony Robbins teams, so to say. So people who teach or who coach in his, his way, perhaps you want to teach someone the things that you do that then this person does. And perhaps it's similar also how it was with at least um, some work you did for, for the, for Teresa or you still do. So, so how would you say this works then? You have to be sure that the other person is doing it better than you. And uh, you have to trust the person that the other person is doing it better than you. And of course, there's this, um, again, this let go trust thing. But um, if I, sticking to the example of Tony Robbins, if, if he really wants to grow, then he probably hired experts in the field so he can really trust them and say, okay, Now you do it and I trust you the way how you do it. And uh, maybe he gave some briefing, you know, we talked about tight, loose, tight. This is my briefing. This is my vision. This is my expectation. This is how I want to have it done. And then you can let go and then you can go in retrospectives to tune it. So it's better and better and better and better. But this doesn't happen in a day. You don't hire someone and say, here, just do it. It's It'll be fine. You don't do it. That is not leading someone to good uh, goals. And then you will be disappointed. So basically a longer process and trust is involved, but not so much just trust in like nothing you can see. It's more hiring a person, for example, you know, has a skill set that is even better than yours. And then obviously trusting that person, that that person will come with, up with a way how he, she things that needs to be done almost like and letting go and trusting the process basically then even though it might be different than what you how you would do it different is not uh, wrong different is different but uh, if the results are good and that is uh, the last tight and tight loose tight if the results are good like the click rates go up the interaction goes up when we stick to social media then it's the right way and so why well, i love this those three words so much you know Uh, be tight in your expectations, be tight in your goals, just let the person do something and then look at the results, be tight on the last one. And then you can see how it works. And if the results are not better than the ones you had before, then you have to change uh, the way it has been doing. And I think it will be super helpful for others, like this concept, this tight, loose, tight concept, like tighten your goals and vision, loose in how you let people do it basically. And then, and this is what I wasn't aware of before. So The first two are new, basically. And then the last one, like be tight in your expectations and in the results and probably also not fear in like, if you tell someone like, hey, this is not how it should look like. Many people are super, like, especially when they come from this, this pleasing mentality. And we, we all know that probably, especially as women, you know, like make it right for everyone. And then to tell someone like, okay, no, this is not how it should be. Let's talk about it. Let's see, you know, what, like communicate how it should be instead. Come and uh, give feedback. This is not what I expected. Okay, then we have to have this manage expectation issues. I think this is something that uh, we all have to learn in becoming a leader is talking to each other, communication. We're so afraid of saying the wrong things. We're so afraid of uh, giving feedback. We are so afraid of criticizing But this is so important. If you want to become a leader, if you want to become a good team lead, then you have to be good in your communication. And there is one really 
good way of giving feedback is one, the nonviolent communication by Marshall Rosenberg. And the other concept that um, I really like is from Kim Scott. It's called Radical Candor. And it says, if you're connected in a good personal way, if you show the other person that you care, you care personally, then you can be open. Then you can say things that might be a bit tricky. But first you have to establish the relationship and then you can be open and frank. And this is something that you really have to learn and that really puts a lot of weight on the last tide, giving feedback, checking the results, talking to each other, learning together. Okay, I wasn't clear enough. I'm sorry. Then goes back to the first tide. I'll be clearer from now on. But then communication is uh, really key to good leadership. Yeah. And as you said, it's so difficult for so many people. Many people are so afraid. And I have some more questions, but just one thing to mention that you do these kind of workshops, like basically in your workshops, people learn basic communication skills. Like I just wanted to know, is this one thing that you actually offer in your, in the workshops that you do, that you work with people on communication skills and how to actually give oh, yeah. back? Uh, yeah, that's um, that's one aspect, how to give feedback, how to communicate, how to dare to open up, but also to create psychological safety. How can I create a room where people can be open? How do I create a room where we can give each other feedback? Because uh, even if I'm a leader and I give feedback, I also want my team to give feedback to me. I want to learn as a leader. And how do I create that? How to create this openness and the safety? And uh, mm. how do I communicate that? That's a big issue. Yeah. Can you perhaps, like for the others who might not know this concept of psychological safety, could you give some a short definition of that? Psychological safety, it's where people are able to talk openly about their ideas without being afraid of being hurt, without being afraid of being laughed at without having any kind of fears. So if we talk to each other and I can just uh, tell you things, I can show myself in a vulnerable way, then I feel safe. And it's the space at work where I just go and feel safe. It was discovered by um, Amy Edmondson that uh, to create high-performance teams, that is a clue issue. And it was uh, connected to some Google project, experiments, studies, whatever. But um, you can have really smart people in your team. You can have quick thinkers in your team. But if you don't feel safe, then you don't say anything. If you don't feel safe, then you don't speak up. If you don't feel safe, then you don't say where things go wrong. Then you don't say where to improve. There's one really, really big um, example where things went wrong. That's the Chernobyl accident. People there didn't speak up. People there saw something went wrong, but they didn't feel safe. And so they weren't able to speak up. And that's how this really catastrophic crisis came to happen. And uh, so we really need to innovate, to improve. We need the safety to speak up. Yeah, and I would say... It sounds almost paradisical. I don't know if this is a word, like like paradise. And I would also assume that it's not a big thing yet. Like at least the little corporate experience that I have of whatever, three or four years. Also what I hear from other people, 
it's not a thing that is mainstream. Like I hear more of these things of like, oh my goodness, don't say the, you know, like make sure to only say the right things. And, oh, you have a good idea, like, oh, better not voice it because someone else is going to take it, um, you know, like, and I'm not going to be credited. Or if I say something, if I say like, hey, that was my mistake, you know, it's like my bonus, my job, whatever that is, you know, like out the window, so to say. So what you say almost sounds like something to look for, but not yet mainstream. What I'm following is that people behave in the way the structure and the concept of the company tells them to. And that's where this organizational design comes into place from leadership to organizational design. So if I want my people, my employees to behave in a different way, if I want to them to be open, if I want to them to speak up, then I have to make sure that the structure and the processes within the company are not hindering them from doing that. So if I want the teams to collaborate then there shouldn't be different goals that are attached to bonuses and money that makes the team go in one direction and the other team go in the different direction. If I want the leader to build up a team that is collaborating with each other, they're open in a, in a special way, then I cannot give a bonus to the leader for some strange goals. And there's so much... Um, to keep in mind when you build up an organization. But I think the most important thing is that people behave in the way the structure is telling them. It's like a game. If you if you look at the game of Monopoly, you want to buy streets, you want to buy houses, you want to buy hotels, and you're so happy when other people fail and they go bankrupt. I mean, that's the game. But uh, if you play a different game with different rules, then you behave in a different game. So this is really connected. So if you, your employees don't behave in the way you want them to look at the structure, look at the processes and look at your organizational design. And you have to change your organizational design to see the results in the behavior of the people. That's where leadership comes to organizational design. So basically there is the part of leadership that you have to learn as a leader. And then there is also the part of the whole company you just as the leader are not the only influence. And then it's probably the question, how do you change like a big ship, like a big company to, yeah, into cultural change, so to say, because this is what we're speaking about, like the change of a whole culture in, in many cases. And that's probably the big question, like, wow, how to get this big ship moving into a slightly different direction? What I think is really wrong to tell the people that they have to change their mindset or they have to change the culture. What I think is really wrong to make some workshops with the people and tell them, okay, now we have this cultural change, but the structure and the processes stay the same. This is not leading anywhere. So if we really want to change the culture in the company, you have to start with structure and processes. Culture follows structure. Culture follows processes. Behavior follows structure. Behavior follows rules. And so you have to show change the rules. Otherwise, you don't get a new behavior. It's the context. We're always behaving in a context. And so you have to change the context to see a different day behavior. It sounds so simple, but it's not. For example, if you look at kids, and if a kid is not behaving well at the evening dinner, then the parents, oh, sit still now, eat properly. But what the kid is showing is the symptom of the family. There's something wrong in the family. There's something wrong between the parents. And uh, the kid has so 
uh, fine-tuned antennas. It's just showing there's something wrong in the system. And it's the same with organizations. If you have a high fluctuation, if the people are moving out of the company, if there's no collaboration, it's a symptom. My goodness, I love that stuff. As you know, like I've studied some of these things, but more from a different perspective. Um, and more from an individual perspective and never, like I've never worked with big organizations as you do. So this is like, basically, it's almost not a podcast anymore. It's like just Lydia being curious, like, I want to know more. Like, how does this work? How does this work? No, well, all good. Like the symptoms and changing processes and structures, even there, I would guess, oh my goodness, like how to find in such a complex system, how to find the processes and structures that are like the cause or are at the cause or, you know, like for the whole thing. Like, yeah. how do you do that? Are you like a magician or something? You have to observe. You really have to observe a lot. You have to listen and not only hear, but listen. You know, the difference between he I hear you, I listen. Mm. And um, you have to observe and you have to listen. And then you have to Try, try little changes. And this is why I like the concept of tight, loose, tight so much, because you observe and you see, okay, I want a different behavior. What do I have to change? Do I, do I have to be tighter here, looser here or tighter there? And uh, then you just give it a, a, a single little push in any direction. And then you, then you observe again, then you give it a push in a direction, then you observe again. So it's not something that, oh, we need three workshops and then the thing is done. So we have to really observe and think. For example, I have uh, worked with a company. They said, oh, they're not fulfilling their goals and um, we're not really happy how they work with their goals. And uh, so we put the whole goal and bonus uh, system on hold. We discussed it. And uh, so this company is uh, now in the middle of um, changing the payment system. So they took off the golds, they took off the bonuses, um, they changed the way the people are paid. And this is an impulse you give in the company. And then we have to observe in the next step. And what's happening? What has happened with the people? How do they behave? How do they perform? Has the performance changed? Yes or no. But uh, you give those impulses and then you just keep on going. But it's nothing that you change in a two-day workshop or can we not talk to the people? Of course, you can fire everyone. Of course, you can do that. Of course, you can try to hire new people in the hope that they would behave in a different way. But it's the system. If you don't change the system, you will. And then you will always complain. Oh, I always find the wrong people. Oh, it's always the wrong employees. And then basically, if the leader says, I guess you're being hired by, well, I have no idea how this works in the, the organization, but someone like the CEO or someone who like makes the signature. So you basically should have the backing from yeah. them to be able to implement these things. Because if it's then again, yeah. someone who doesn't want it and says like, no, this process is not going to be changed. then yeah, <laughs> what now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. If, if I uh, work with uh, leaders, of course, um, they can come to me on their private basis if they want to uh, work on their leadership skills. But if we talk about organizational design, of course, this has to be by the owner of the company. I need the owner of the company to discuss those things. If uh, he's not or she's not backing it, then it's not working. Yeah, very, very interesting. And I would just love to to finish our round today. Obviously, there is so much more to to learn about all of this. 
some more thoughts around the, the topic of self-leadership, because obviously the people who listen here, they are usually like not owners of huge companies. It's more the, the smaller companies. So perhaps some ideas and, and tips around how to improve, like some things we already heard, like the feedback, learn to give feedback, learn to delegate, and just some more basic things that are good to improve your leadership skills. Like, where do you even start? What is your recommendation? Find a hobby. <laughs> Find a hobby. Okay, I didn't expect this one. Get yourself a hobby. <laughs> I know. But uh, get yourself a hobby that you really want to do in your free time. Because that is the way how to clear your head. That is the way where you can learn. That is the way where you can develop. And it doesn't matter what kind of hobby it is. If it's uh, sports or drawing or an instrument... But uh, you have to be able to clear your head in between. And there has to be something in your life that is so exciting, that is so interesting, that you're willing to finish the job at uh, six o'clock in the evening because you want to do your hobby or because you want to do it on the weekend. So don't work too hard and uh, find yourself a hobby where you can learn things, where you can develop yourself. You know, when you learn an instrument, you know how to fail. You know how to keep on going and keep it pushing. But you learn it in a really soft way. The same in sports. And so that's uh, my biggest tip to everyone out there who wants to be an entrepreneur. Find yourself a hobby. And uh, life is not work. And one thing for um, leaders is also what I said in the beginning. How should it feel? And what kind of footprint do you want to leave in the person that goes home in the evening? What kind of footprint do you want to leave in other people? Every leader has um, some influence on other people. And uh, what kind of influence should that be? If that person goes home in a really good mood and was supported uh, by its leader, then this person will give those feelings to other people as well. So to me... To be a leader means also to be clear about what kind of footprint you want to leave in the person you're leading. And uh, I hope it's a good one. You don't want to your people to go home and be frustrated and uh, disappointed and uh, yell at other people or yell at the kids. You want them to be in peace and calm and in balance. And to be clear about your influence when you are a leader. That's uh, really important, I think. Because you opened up this this part now, <laughs> I have a follow-up question. Because what we also learn, like I love this, you know, like you leave, you have an influence on other people as a leader. It's not only about like, hey, do this or do that. It's really how you lead them, how they then leave you basically and what they bring into the world. And the follow-up question for that is, when do you take too much responsibility? What if a person then has like their own issues, obviously, as well, and then is super angry, super frustrated? Where do you draw the line between, okay, this is how I can have a good influence on other people and make the world a little bit happier? And where is it not my influence anymore? Like, where is it the other person? And where can I perhaps not make this person happy? I think there is the difference between making other people happy or what kind of influence do I have through my behavior? I'm not responsible for the happiness of other people. 
I'm not. I'm responsible for myself. But I have impact on other people. And I think that draws the picture a bit uh, sharper. The impact I give, the impact I have, if I behave in a way that um, I feel good myself, I have uh, communicated in a fair way, I have treated everyone in a fair way, I've done just the best I can, then it's enough. And it's enough is enough. I don't have to be moral. I don't have to do more. And it shouldn't cost me more energy I give than I get. Because this is when we talk about self-leadership. And if someone is really struggling with his or her own life, this is not, sorry to say, this is not my business. Yeah. So I cannot solve the problems from other people. Of course, I can support them. I can help them. I can advise them. As you said, you you have to draw a line there. And uh, you're not responsible for everything now. Yeah, I think that's a very beautiful end for our session. Like this, I have to feel good myself. And it's about the impact I have on other people. Basically also, yeah, through self-leadership. How do I show up myself? And also this fairness and treatment. Like treat others fair, but this obviously includes yourself. Like <laughs> treat yourself fair. Like how would you treat yourself? And it should always be a fair exchange, basically. So, yeah. Any departing thoughts, dear Susanna, for today? One important question that people tend to forget is the question, what is really important in life? We put work very often in the center of our life, especially entrepreneurs, especially people who have started their own business. And then nothing is more important than that. But um, that's why I said to get yourself a hobby. <laughs> Think about what is really, really important because it's not work. It's not uh, your company. There are other things out there that are more important than that. So I really want to work with people and uh, have a bit of a focus that is not only work. What is really important in life? Yeah, a good question to ponder. Okay, thank you, dear Susanne. And I'm going to put your, probably your LinkedIn and your website into the show notes. So anyone who's interested, I checked with Susanne beforehand. She also offers workshops, for example, in English, so not just in German. So if you think this is the next step for you, if you need some kind of yeah support, either in the leadership, um, smaller leadership part for yourself, or obviously in, in bigger organizational design, she might just the person to reach out to. So thank you for a very interesting talk today, Susanne. Thank you, Lydia. Thank you, Lydia, for having me here, for inviting me and uh, asking me all those wonderful questions. And I would say until the next time and for now, for or towards amazing teams and amazing entrepreneurs who learn how to lead amazing teams, so to say. Okay, that's it for today. And until next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Did you like this podcast episode? Then please share it with people who you know could benefit from it. Also, I would be super grateful if you could leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It would mean such a lot to me. If you want to stay connected with me, please join my Telegram channel for daily mini reminders around mindset, business growth, investing and living life to the fullest. Or message me directly on Instagram or LinkedIn. You will find all the links in the show notes. Thank you for listening and until the next episode. Much love, Lydia.